Our topic today is something that most of us are addicted to. A number of studies have found that sugar affects the brain's reward system, which probably specifically the nucleus accumbens, which is the same area of the brain that's implicated in the response to addictive drugs. This reward system helps humans survive. And food is a natural reward. And sweet foods and drinks will stimulate this system, which causes you to eat more food. Now, the most common foods that are associated with addictive substances are those that are high in added fats or added sugars. Sugar can also cause the release of endogenous opioids that are found within the brain. And this leads to a rush that can ultimately lead to future cravings. Eating sugar regularly will alter your brain so that it becomes tolerant to it causing you to require more to get the same effect. Sounding familiar? The average American will consume about 22 to 30 teaspoons of sugar every day. And this is way more than what the recommended maximum is, which is six teaspoons for females and nine teaspoons for males. Therefore, if your diet is high in added sugar, Reducing your sugar intake can cause withdrawal symptoms. And again, sound familiar? Now, my guest today is going to bring some very valuable information on this addiction. Please stay tuned, and I'll see you in a minute. Thank you for joining our podcast that promotes highness. My name is Eric McCoy, and uh, let's continue to get high while clean. Hey, please don't forget to watch High Wall Clean show at highwallclean.org. Please help support this not-for-profit show by helping us help other people find the show. You can help by listening, watching, rating, subscribing, and sharing. But most of all, we hope that you enjoy and learn something from our amazing guests. You know, addiction has many faces, whether it be chemical abuse or behavioral addictions, like gambling, sex. My guest today brings about something that most of us may not even think about. He defines this as an addiction, which fits perfectly into this podcast. Most alcoholics, And once they quit drinking, they began to crave this very substance that we're going to talk about, sugar. Michael Collins, the author of The Last Resort, Sugar Detox Guide. Michael, I want to thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You know, I took a look at your website, uh, Mm sugaraddiction.com, and I could clearly see your link between chemical abuse as well as behavioral addictions and sugar. You know, you, you outline on your site the psychological dependency, the physical withdrawal, and the immense cravings that cause people to possibly unconsciously force feed themselves sugar. Now, I have a lot of questions that surround this topic. But the first thing I want to ask you, what brought you to this place of giving up sugar? And from what I've seen for 30 years, and you actually said closer to 31 years. Right. Yeah. Thanks again for having me. I, it's a, I have a little podcast version that usually brings up more questions than it answers. But the short version is I, uh, I grew up as a regular kid, like we all did, I think. Well, you know, I was kind of an alcoholic family, but uh, my father was anyway, but my mother was uh, my favorite sugar junkie. My mom loves sugar. And uh, it was kind of, I don't want to, I never want to sound sexist, but you know, it, it, it is 
defined sometimes or has been named the good girl's drug. So it was kind of common. My father's out drinking, my mother's eating sugar, right? So anyway, we, we literally had unfettered access to the sugar bowl. And we could put as much sugar as we want on those cornflakes, Cheerios, whatever. And we would end up scraping a quarter or half an inch of sugar off the bottom of the bowl with the milk. And, and every, I mean, Kool-Aid with three times the sugar recipe, we couldn't afford soda, but, and, you know, my mom had a stash. We knew her it was. See, my mom, and, and this is important as this thing progresses, and it, it does take about a podcast worth of description for me to kind of, I, I don't have a meat is murder or friends don't let friends drive dunk. I don't have a sound bite, you know, not yet. I may one day, but it takes a little time to set it up. And so my mom, my grandmother died when she was only eight years old. And when she died, uh, my grand, they moved in with my aunt and my grandfather said, you know, any, they owned a country store across the way. And she said, anytime little Juliet walks into the store, just give her any candy that she wants. And, you know, wonderful thing to do for an eight-year-old back then, long, long time ago in the 30s. But still, it, it, it instilled in her the belief that sugar was love. And really, when we were growing up, we would bond with uh, chocolate chip cookies on uh, you know, on every Saturday in a bowl, the biggest bowl I've ever seen still to this date, we would make them in and we'd have them all week. And, you know, it just went on and on like that until I ran into, I didn't realize it was changing my state, Eric. I didn't really realize there's a great video on YouTube. Um, Eric Clapton talking to Ed Bradley on 60 Minutes about this um, addiction thing. They're sitting in this $7 million treatment center in Antigua and it says, so Ed Bradley says, hey, so Eric, this addiction thing, it started with heroin, right? And Eric Clapton says, no, Ed, it started with sugar. I was eating bread and butter and sugar sandwiches when I was just stuffing my face at five and six years old to change my state. Now, this is important as we move forward to remember what Eric said. You can look it up on YouTube. Because when I ran into beer at 14 years old, I knew that changed my state, Okay. I was kind of shy and I was able to talk to girls and we called it liquid courage, right? And obviously this is a recovery podcast, so we can answer any questions about this, but let's stick with the sugar and fast forward to, I was 28 when I got sober, right? So I've been sober 36 years. And as I got sober, I started to recognize that this flour, sugar, and caffeine was treating me, my body maybe worse, just as bad as sugar in its cravings, its dependency, its rosacea, its pimples. I mean, it was, I was drinking, you know, caffeine, like it was going out of style. And a lot of my friends in recovery were doing the exact same thing. And some of them were getting diabetes diagnosis, you know, forget about the freshman 15, Eric, they were gaining 50 pounds in the first year, just like that, uh, for substituting sugar. So I went on, I met a woman in recovery and we had a couple of kids, they were twins. And somehow I had, I read a book called Sugar Blues and Sugar Blues is written by a guy who used to be married to Gloria Swanson, if you can imagine the, the famous movie star. And they promoted this book in the seventies and eighties. And literally that book um, just gave me this incredible history lesson, this understanding of how sugar played in society as England grew an empire from slavery, they would get the slaves in Africa, go to the Americas and the Caribbean and bring the sugar, tea, rum and molasses back. And it was just amazing really. And it was a great story. And I was always trying to get healthy. So slowly, really, I went to a food group or two, but really only for just to figure it out a little bit. And I got sober, or I mean, I got off the sugar and we had a couple kids and somehow I talked my wife into no flour, no sugar, no caffeine while the kids were in the womb and until they lasted until they were about six, you know, we fought the grand pill. Everybody thought we were deprived in the kids, you know, it was crazy really. And so anyway, um, I went on to have a regular business life. I kind of let it slide. My kids always said I should uh, write a book about sugar because they experienced it growing up. But that experiment worked, and we can talk about that if you like. Um, and they all, you know, so I did write a book, and about a decade ago, 10, 12 years ago, I bought the name sugaraddiction.com. I was online anyway, and uh, doing a lot of work in the last 15 years there. And so 
I, I started to give out the best information on, on the planet, literally. And it, it helped some people, but really I didn't get any traction until I was kind of semi-retired a few years ago. And I started coaching and I started forming these groups, these online support groups. And then the thing just kind of took off and I really figured out the magic sauce. I ended up as the chairman of the Food Addiction Institute and uh, the founder who's still alive said that this thing needs an inordinate amount of support. And it's been my experience, and you can maybe see this in, if you ever talk to a, a person who's lost 100 to 200 pounds, it's nothing to do with diet. It's nothing to do with exercise. It has to do with the emotional recovery that they had to go through, like alcohol and drugs. Um, and that's, you know, that's really the secret sauce of this addiction, um, Anyway, that's, again, a short, a short version. There's a lot in there, I know, and I apologize for going long, but I just, that's, the, that's the, how I ended up where I am today. You know, I got a question, and excuse me if I sound very ignorant. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> I probably am. Um, so glucose, you know, which is basically what feeds our brain, right, mm -hmm. which is basically our blood sugar. Sure. And now when you are talking about sugar, you know, sugar is in everything. Yeah. You know, you've got, uh, you know, fruits, you know, have sugar in it. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, you're talking bread, you know, um, basically everything that we eat that we get from the store has sugar in it. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? You know, so if you say that I don't eat sugar, mm -hmm. how are you gaining the glucose or I mean, I know that's something that's converted, you know, within us. Yeah. Um, so how does that work? Well, I mean, there's a delineation that's happening in modern science now. It's really only about five years old. It's an interesting question. And one, your audience really probably needs to hear the answer to is that and kind of get it in a deep way. We all know what excess glucose does to the body, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, they're calling diabetes, Alzheimer's diabetes three. And mostly that excess glucose happens in a powdered form. Half of the sugar molecule is glucose and half the sugar molecule is fructose. And that's an important distinction. And the glucose part of the molecule can be found, like you say, in fruit and uh, vegetables and all kinds of other stuff and or bread or sugar or flour or you know what I mean. But the, uh, there is a distinct difference, like there's a difference between coca leaves and cocaine, a distinct difference between the powdered version, the processed version and the non-processed version. That's number one. Number two, especially with fructose, which where the, the real advances in science have happened in the last five years, and the understanding that when high fructose corn syrup came into the diet in the late 70s and early 80s, it literally skyrocketed the obesity crisis and it runs parallel to the growth of high fructose corn syrup in the food system and in the, I mean, they're literally parallel lines going straight up into the right in the graph. I don't know if I'm doing that right on your screen, but, and so, but what we've discovered is that the offending molecule is fructose and the fructose acts on the nucleus accumbens. The fructose acts on the brain reward chemicals, which again, when you're talking about change in your state, this is where why people can't, can't stay off this stuff. They can get off it. They can muscle, they can white knuckle, they can bite their, bite their lip and do it but they can't stay off it because they're addicted to the, the dopamine hit that comes from fructose. Mm -hmm. And the dopamine, I mean, um, you know, it's debatable whether the glucose, you know, gives you that kind of same, it gives you the blood sugar spike, but whether it gives you that, that, that euphoric feeling that dopamine, serotonin, norepinephrine, GABA, um, even your adrenal glands are affected by fructose in the nucleus accumbens. Scientifically, it's called um, down-regulating. You have this flood of fructose, you literally thin out your dopamine and you have less of them, right? And it's just really quite amazing now, I'm starting to understand this as a substance use disorder. This, just like alcohol and drugs, this is, and again, go back to that person who's lost two or 300 pounds or 100 pounds, 
fall into a right-sized body, they describe the same exact recovery that you would go through with alcohol and drugs. And it's because sugar in, in now look, not everyone is like this. It's like not everyone's an alcoholic. They can drink it regularly and just leave half a glass of wine. The same thing, some people just have sensitive brains. And I think having a sensitive brain personally is a gift. It's a beautiful gift from the God or the universe, whichever you believe. And so, you know, but you have to accept the idea. Some people have to accept the idea that biochemically they can ingest, you know, uh, fructose or glucose in powdered form in large amounts without setting up cravings for more and destroying their health. Yeah, you're talking about with, you know, so heroin, for instance, you know, when you build a tolerance to heroin, um, you're, there is a down regulation, right, as a result of, you know, too much of what your body is seen as endorphins. Mm -hmm. So they down regulate, um, which builds the tolerance. So there's not as many receptor sites to seed into. So you're correlating that same concept with sugar. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is now proven fact. It's not, you know, this is scientific. This is, there's peer-reviewed studies all over the place now about this, that, that sugar will um, downregulate dopamine receptors for sure. Yeah. That is fascinating. Yeah. And yes, um, and I do, I agree. You can get that sugar high, you know, that we talk about. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, obviously my podcast is high while clean. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. But, well. But I definitely, you know, based on this, um, I do still get high on sugar. <laughs> well, look, you're, look, you're, to, not, yeah. you're not alone. I've probably been on at least 30, maybe as much as 50 recovery podcasts. And um, about half of them near the end of the show say, I brought you on because <laughs> I'm having a little trouble with sugar. And I'll tell you an interesting story about my parents and my own anonymity. So for 30 some odd years of my recovery, I was, I came up as an anonymous guy. My parents were alive. I just didn't really, it was nobody's damn business. I was in business. I just didn't talk about it. And, you know, people knew or they didn't, I didn't care. And, but I, I was anonymous. I didn't talk about it. So I had get grown and I'm growing a pretty large platform online um, for the sugar thing. And so I went public with my substance use disorder. My mentor in the, that world is a guy named William White. And uh, he's just a genius when it comes to recovery and living recovery out loud so that more people can relate and to decreasing the stigma. And I just bought into it and I believed it. And, and I still believe it. And it's really a big part of my life. Well, when I did that, <laughs> I had this flood of recovering people, 5, 10, 15, 20. One of my coaches is 20 years sober, been through every food program and diet, 12-step and otherwise that you can imagine, but she couldn't put down the sugar. And now I have probably hundreds, uh, I don't even, I can't count anymore, but hundreds of people in recovery in my forums and my meetings that are uh, sober but they have struggled for decades with sugar and weight and disease and blah, 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 blah. And to a man, to a woman, every one of them says that getting off sugar was getting off harder than getting off drugs because it's so accepted. It's so ubiquitous. And I actually believe it's more powerful and it's a perfect drug that it makes you feel just a little bit better, just enough calmer. And, and, and but it also turns on you just like cocaine or any drug that, you know, after a while, it just doesn't work anymore. I mean, it may work for five or 10 minutes, but then you got, you're still chasing that same high all day, you know? So yeah, it's, it's something, it's something that we don't think about too. No, it's not. A, that's why I'm really appreciative that you brought me on because it's, there's no one has put all these dots together. You know, no one has connected them all together um, in one 40, 50, 60 minute deal. It's like, they, they, you know, it's all over the place because we have a, di you know, literally, let's face it. And, you know, I don't have a beef with the, the food producers. They were optimizing shareholder value. But the reality is they have propagated a disinformation campaign for decades to rail against the idea that sugar is, and I can tell you the whole history, but you'd probably bore you, but I love the history because I you can't figure out how we got into get out of this mess till we figure out how we got in this mess, right? And so 
but you know, we have, and I don't want to say an enemy, but we have an adversary on the other side who, you know, literally use MRIs to slide you in to see how your dopamine receptors are, are doing to see, you know, how they're lighting up with their newest product. You know, it's crazy talk, really. I mean, and, you know, and, and the, the, the marketing to children, I mean, the, the sugary sweet, the people are hooked before they're five years old. We have an epidemic of fatty liver in three to five-year-olds. This is an alcoholic disease because fructose cannot be uh, digest, cannot be processed anywhere but the liver. And so when you pound it day in and day out with 20 plus teaspoons of sugar, it's going to have an effect. So I get, I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> no, it's good. I, so how I'm, I'm trying to contemplate the types of food, like for me, you know, like I love bread. Bread is yeah. a just, I love bread. Yeah. And, um, you know, so if we're looking at like, how close is it to like veganism or um, what, what, what do you eat? <laughs> yeah. No, I get that question a lot. And uh, I, I get what I, what I do is, um, it's a it's kind of a version of keto with a lot of greens. I mostly eat piles and piles of green vegetables, dark green vegetables, and meat, seafoods, and and chicken. You know that that's pretty much what I eat. Um, and Brussels sprouts and celery, and you know those are those are the lighter green stuff. But kale and and that's pretty much what I eat. And you don't um, eat fruits. I do not eat fruit and fruit is a completely another discussion, which I'm happy to go down with you um, and, and grains as well. Uh, oats and rice and bread too. I mean, uh, bread is obviously grains, but yeah, I mean, it's kind of an evolutionary, has been an evolutionary process for me is that I was 25 years in, no flour, no sugar, no caffeine. And at that time, my, my gums bled uh, I have had bleeding gums since I was a kid, um, receding the whole nine yard from the dentist. Luckily, I hadn't lost them in one or two teeth. But um, I had acne, adult acne in my 50s. I had basal cell on my forehead diagnosed by a doctor and a couple times went removed on my nose and um, still hadn't had these touched or removed or anything. And when I got off the fruit and fruit juice and dried fruit and grains about five or six years ago, all that stuff disappeared, just disappeared. So the inflammation that was caused or being caused by those products, and this is, you know, one of the success stories in our groups is the, the receding gums, the bleeding gums go away. It, it literally heals gum disease and you have to, you know, you have to include the grains and the, and the fruits. There's a great video on YouTube called Is Fruit Good For You by a doctor named Dr. Gary Fetke, F-E-T-T-K-E, the Tasmanian guy um, who has been on a couple of our summits, the, uh, the Quit Sugar Summits. And uh, basically, if you think about it, uh, 300 years ago, the only fruit past 300 years back, we only got these little berries that were wild or these little crab apples or whatever. Bananas you couldn't even eat. They're little big seed pods. pods. So everything really has been hybridized for what? For fructose. I mean, look at navel oranges, seedless grapes, these kind of things. These things do not propagate in nature. You, they, they would die. They, they're basically a manufactured fructose bomb, right? And again, uh, the evolutionary biology of all this is that we got a little bit every year at, har at, at, at harvest time when things were ripe. That's it. Animals would come in and strip that tree in one day once it was really super ripe. And then a little bit of honey if you want to risk getting stung by a bee. That's once or twice a year. Now, that's why the liver's reaction to fructose is so dramatic because 300 years is not enough time to change the body's biological makeup to be able to process fructose that well. And so it's a real, um, it's, <laughs> Dr. Fecky always says, about 30 years ago, it was the green grocer and, and some marketing campaign made it fruits and veg, fruits and vegetables, right? And put them together when they don't really belong together. Green vegetables are very different than, and green vegetables have strangely enough been hybridized for fructose as well, taking some of the bitter out. Um, so there's fructose in those as well, but it's not as bad as giant navel oranges or, 
you know, ripe bananas or whatever. Bro broccoli's good, right? Yeah, broccoli is good. I mean, these things do have a touch of fructose in it, but the goal for me, for my folks, is to reduce the fructose as much as you can. An addiction podcast will get this. When you're when you're drinking beer, you're looking for whiskey. When you're drinking whiskey, you're looking for cocaine or something more, you know. And but when you're when you it's like wired together, fired together, these deep grooves have been wired together that once you get some fructose going in a big giant, and then we have this all the time, say, I'm not gonna listen to you, Mike. I can eat fruit. That's healthy, right? But it keeps the cravings alive. And then you start looking for the real sugar, as do the, the artificial sweeteners. The, your, your, your perception of sweet has changed, right? Your perception of what sweet is. If you eliminate the sweeteners and all the things that I've talked about, in about 30 or 60 or 90 days, macadamia nuts are going to taste like candy. Carrots taste sweet. Peppers taste sweet. Um, Brussels sprouts taste sweet. I mean, it's really like a different world out there once you get off of the sweet tastes. So your program that you have, and you yeah. kind of have a program, correct? Yeah. Is it is it kind of, uh, I mean, obviously, you know, we talk about like with substance abuse, people go through detox and things like that. And I'm assuming oh, yeah. you don't have a, an official detox <laughs> scenario. No, it actually, I don't have a center, but we do have, the detox is absolutely official. I mean, they're, after doing over a thousand of these, you know, most of them, a lot of them one-on-one, -on -one, an individual with, you know, coaching clients and now more on a platform with coaches. I have seen every imaginable uh, reaction to detoxing from sugar, mm -hmm. nausea, uh, irritability, hangry, um, acne breakouts, uh, headaches for sure, irritability, depression is real. Not, it's not like there's something mentally wrong with this, just that you're just your dopamine now just said, oh, thank you for stopping beating me up, right? And it said, and, and so you, you, you know, your dopamine's going back and starting to heal up. But in that time frame, you don't have any dopamine, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not manually manipulating it with a substance. So sugar withdrawal is real, it's physical. And if you were to tie everything together, any adult, most adults in the United States do flour, sugar, and caffeine at the same time. In the second to third day, they will be incapacitated. They will not be able to work or parent or do anything. They're going to have to rest. And it, I like to have people think more like nicotine than heroin or alcohol, but it is real and it trips up a lot of people because one small ingestation will make all of those symptoms go away. And once you start to see that, feel that with your own body, then you start to get real awareness about it. When I had relapsed in 2013, methamphetamine was my drug of choice. Okay. And all I could eat was donuts. <laughs> I mean, literally, I could not eat a burger. I could not. I mean, it's just, you know, I mean, I, I would lose weight drastically, but I craved sugar. Yeah. It's in, the, it's in the big book twice. It's like, it's a very, I mean... It it's, makes me ill that they do feed that to folks in treatment centers. It's it's ridiculous, really. There's some good guys out there, the nutrition recovery folks, that are trying to reorder uh, the nutrition in treatment centers. But your experience is very common, very common. Yeah, I went through a treatment program back in 99 that they wouldn't allow caffeine and they wouldn't allow the uh, you know packet, packets of sugar. You know, for coffee. So basically you drank it black, you know, I, mm -hmm. I drink coffee black anyways, but, um, but it's not saying that we didn't eat anything with sugar. Cause obviously we had bread and we had, you know, yeah. things I would say though, you know, in, in a, like a detox program coming off of methamphetamine or heroin or things like that, it might make it even more challenging if you didn't have some of those things, at least I would think so. Oh, I, I think it's I think it's used well, like methadone or suboxone. There's no doubt in my mind. Like that's why it's in the big book twice. It works. It flat out works. We have a step down protocol. If somebody's, you know, uh, insistent on not ripping off the bandaid all at once, we have to ask them to do the caffeine first because you're going to need the sugar to get off the caffeine, and the flour in the in the flour or the flour second because you're going to or the sugar second because you need the flour to get off the sugar. So it, it's a step down. 
And that's like Suboxone. When I was coming up, I was an abstinence space guy. I, I just believe that, um, you know, and it was kind of sad actually when I look back, it feels like prejudice or whatever. But, you know, when you would go to a meeting, if someone was doing Suboxone or Methadone, they were not considered clean. Mm -hmm. And now I believe that 100% that, you know, you're in recovery if you say you're in recovery. And if it takes Suboxone to get you off the heroin or whatever, uh, Oxy, then that's fine, you know. And the same thing I apply with the same harm reduction principles I apply in our groups. It's like, whatever it takes. You got to drink black coffee? Fine. You got to eat bread for a month or two? Fine. You know, one at a time, step down. I don't care. You know, there's a group of people, and this is pretty cool, actually, in over the, at the Food Addiction Institute in my work, is that about a third of people biochemically cannot use this product, just can't use flour, sugar, uh, and I believe caffeine. I, I'm, I'm kind of a loner in the caffeine thing, but I've seen it work a lot. And then about a third of people are what we call harmful users, which is a lot of the country. Um, they've just gone along with the train, you know, ingested this stuff, got the dopamine rush, got acclimated to it. Now they've gained a lot of weight. And those folks possibly can straighten it up, uh, uh, not use as much, go on an abstinent diet for 30, 60 or 90 days, and then once or twice a year or, you know, once or twice a month, uh, enjoy some sugar. And then there's obviously the third folks that are normies. And we all hate them. No, just kidding. <laughs> but uh, that was, those, are, those numbers pretty much track with the obesity numbers. If you think about it, a third overweight, a third, uh, no, see, yeah, a third obese, a third overweight, and a third normal weight. Now, I do want to clarify one thing is that a lot of my folks have no weight issues at all. You can be a very skinny sugar addict. Mm -hmm. And I have ultra marathoners. I've, I have, I worked with an Olympic athlete. I mean, I have a lot of people who are, you know, it's, the main benefit that people derive after they get abstinent is not about weight and food and health, uh, body health. It's about brain. It's about their processing power returns, their memory returns, their ability to sleep better returns. Um, and, and they just feel calmer and they don't, you know, I, I have a, a coach right now that got, got off depression medicine just like in nine months. And I, it wasn't me. Um, it was, she went to her doctor, we, they had their talk and stuff. And, uh, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen every, I've seen type two diabetes go into remission. I've seen it all now, but um, it really is a, you know, it, it again, it's, it, it, we're, we're pioneers in a lot of ways. I mean, we're early adopters as the tech folks call it, but, you know, people went through this with cigarettes and with drinking and driving and seatbelts and cars and, you know, smoking and stuff. So it's, well, it's the nature of the human condition. Yeah. Anytime that we do something that gives us that rush of dopamine, you know, alleviates anxiety or, you know, whatever it is. Um, we just want to do more of it. I mean, that's, that's, you know, I think yeah. that's that. I mean, everybody out there has some compulsive something that they do that goes, oh, this feels great. <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree 100%. I mean, it's a, it's an evolutionary um, byproduct of searching for food, sex. Um, you know, we get rewarded for these good things. That That's what kept us alive for millions of years and have us evolved into this species. Um was the reward circuits in our brain that gave us a little bit of a shot. Um, people stopped, told me to stop using the word squirt, <laughs> like a little bit of dopamine. Um, uh, you know, every time we would find a good new food. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So your program, is it run kind of like a support group? Oh yeah. We have zoom meetings, 50 people on them we go all, all weeknights and pretty soon seven days a week here. Um, and, you know, my goal is to have them around the clock Monday, you know, 24, seven, 365. But yeah, we have, uh, we got eight, almost 8,000 people on a, in a forum, um, from one year to five years or one day to five years. And we've got, uh, I come into your house. Uh, <laughs> the program is I have a, a video series. Cause I, <laughs> I couldn't answer the same question that the new folks had over and over and over and over and over again. Cause everybody's, Everybody's looking for a little wiggle room, you know, everybody want to, you know, 
do I have to do this for the rest of my life kind of question. So I created this video series where every day for 30 days, I come into their inbox and kind of walk them through the first 30 days. And they're, then, they're, you know, they're involved in the forum and the Zoom meetings. They can plug in anytime. So it's the support, really. It's really building a relationship with somebody. It's the same as any other recovery program, 12-step, Celebrate, uh, Rational Recovery. What's the other one? Uh, um, I always forget that one. I like smart, that too. Smart Recovery. Smart Recovery. You know, it's about the community, really. And, you know, now there's a lot of peer recovery, uh, we call it uh, peer, peer-reviewed stuff. Mm-hmm. That even if you have cancer or diabetes or uh, you know you're in you're you're in remission and you're or whatever you're if you can create a support group um, the support group always does better than the loners mm-hmm. this is there's a lot of peer recovery and the twelve step I mean the the twelve step folks stumbled on that sixty years ago and uh, you know it really it saved a lot of lives but it really is no matter what the dogma around the 12 step what no matter what the rules no matter what a, the steps even are it really is about the community that really helps people uh, move on to the next level in their life yeah whether people are involved in the 12 step program smart recovery or even not involved in those but they have people yeah that they can talk to that they can call that they can meet with that are that know what they're doing, that are encouraging, you know, that yeah. are there to support them. Um, I agree completely. That is, um, you know, if if anybody out there, you know, the greatest advice: have people in your life that can help guide you. <laughs> yeah, people that have been there. You know, we are a little bit of pioneers, even in the recovery business or the recovery uh, world. The reduction of stigma is still a real problem. I mean, you know, they think of the word addiction as the brown paper bag guy under the bridge. And it's like, it's even, and and forget about sugar. Nobody wants to be an addict. You know, nobody wants to be, I, I think I summed it all up in one testimonial from a woman who was 47 years old. She first started going to Weight Watchers with her mom at 16. She was a Weight Watchers leader twice. She'd been on every diet you can think of. And I said, Bethany, what, what changed? What, why did this thing work for you? And she said, um, I, before I was above addiction, Mike, I thought there was no way that could be me, even though I kind of understood it, you know, almost 10 years ago or something like that, she said. It, and, and that's what it is. And it's, you know, it's just a word. It's just a construct. It's just now you know, if people can understand that it's a physical more of more of a mental but it's a you know something biologically uh that happened when we evolved to i call it powder addiction error i just don't think that the body was meant or to digest this the amount of surface area that powder throws at it you know maybe we got a little dirt or a little sand in our food as we evolved but not 21 teaspoons. I mean, we do a little bit of heroin. We do a little bit of alcohol. We do a little bit of cocaine. Man, we're pounding on, on average, man, woman, and child, 21 teaspoons a, a day through our body. Just just sugar. That's not the flour or the, you know, whatever else. And, you know, if you're, you're heavier, you got a big habit, you know, we're talking 30, 40 teaspoons going through your body. And that's why the urination, and that's what diabetes is, is like, frequent urination because the body's trying to get that stuff out, man. It's a toxin. I mean, this is a proven fact that it's a toxin. So they're trying to get it out. And the level of acceptance necessary to just say, okay, maybe biochemically I can ingest this and let's do, I call it a scratch test. I say, just give me 30 days. Just, I like 60 or 90, but if you can just give me 30 days, Let's prove to your body what will happen. I mean, if I told you not to eat steak, you do it like 30 days. I like steak. Well, you'd still do it. Try it anyway. But when it comes to your sugar, I get, I, them are fighting words, right? People are not, they're not giving that stuff up. So anyway. And you're talking about, I mean, all kind of like powdered sugar, brown sugar, all that stuff. Every freaking thing. <laughs> Everything. That scares me. <laughs> I know. And that's that feeling that you probably felt with the meth. You know, it's the feeling I felt when I was going to get sober. You know, it's like I literally, you know, everybody, does, I think I would think, well, there's this party and this wedding. And I'm like, I can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I've been saying this recently. And I, 
I felt I, I actually like I forgot it twice and I, I like stuttered and I'm like, but this is a true fact. And I'm not saying this about you, but I'm saying about this is the ma- average American diet person does not have the mental capacity right now to make the decision because of the habit, the addiction on the nucleus accumbens in the brain. And if you ever listen to a guy named Dr. Daniel Amen, who has the Amen Clinics. He's uh, been yeah, on, I've actually met him a couple of times, talked to him. Yeah. There you go. So he's been on PBS and he does brain scans, right? So you know. Mm-hmm. And when you come in with the standard American diet that we're describing, and not even a real bad one, not a real bad sugar, just a regular there's literally holes in your brain. He's done thousands, tens of thousands, maybe a hundred thousands of these brain scans. And then fast forward a year or two, getting off the stuff, getting off the diet, eating healthfully like we described and not using sugar, the brain heals up. Literally the holes are gone. Wow. And, and that just, I mean, you got to take that with, you know, that that's, we can't see inside ourselves, right? One of the most fascinating things I got on the table now is these continuous, glu- I don't have mine on right now, but continuous glucose monitors where you can see what that sugar does to you. You can see your blood sugar in real time on your phone. You can see what's going on with the um, your blood sugar. So you eat whatever, sweet potato. When I first got mine, I said, dear, what do we have around that I can test this on? So we had a sweet potato from, it was like after Christmas or something. And so we, we cooked it, we cooked up the, and literally, and this is a proven fact too, my blood sugar jumped 10 points just smelling it. And this is apparently olfactory and this is possible. Went from 84 to 94. And then after I ingested one hour later, it jumped to 184. Okay. So then I tried it with my favorite meal back in the day when I used to eat grains and fruit, I had bananas and oats, oats with bananas on it, right? It went from 80 something to 224, my blood sugar. Now, because I'm now metabolically healthy, it came back down to, um, you know, the safe range under 140 and then back into the over under hundred. But we've got now a bunch of people on these CGMs testing their baselines as they come into the program. And it's just, they're like, they've never seen such clarity, such illumination. And so they understand what's going on in their life, you know, and uh, what's going on inside their system, you know, what's going on with their blood sugar. Cause we can fool ourselves. We can say, ah, one donut won't hurt. Right. But when you can look on your phone on one donut and say, I'm in the two hundreds, then, you, you know, it changes things. So. Absolutely. Yeah, I want to make a quick note real quick for the listeners um, regarding the Amen Clinic. You had mentioned doc, Dr. Amen. Yeah. And um, yeah, they do spec scans. They're called single photon emission computerized tomography, which is Whoa. Uh, yeah, That's great. basically brain scans. And they, they were one of the things that has been most helpful with them is, you know, a lot of people go to psychiatrists, for instance, and they get put on meds. And psychiatry is about treating symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm depressed, I'm anxious, I'm this, I'm that. So they give you meds for that. One of the things that Dr. Amen and the Amen Clinic does is they look at uh, directly, they look at blood flow across the outer part of the brain and indirectly it looks at brain function. Um, and it's actually uh, a tool that is used to help I treat the, not, not the symptoms, but the actual cause of the symptoms. And and the reason I do bring this up is because I've actually had a lot of my clients over the years. Um, they have uh, his main offices in Newport Beach, which mm-hmm. is not too far from where I'm at. And I used to work literally right up the street from them. And I have seen some amazing results. And, you know, they do have, um, obviously, sometimes they will prescribe medications, but a lot of times they'll also prescribe changes of life scenarios exercising healthy things um, to help treat symptoms. And so I just wanted to make note of that because you did bring that up and, and uh, I'm a, I am a huge fan of what they do. Cool. No, I am too. I mean, 
I, I actually want to have my brain scanned. I, I really do. I just haven't got down there and, you know, it's like seven or 10 grand too. It's like, you know, I got to think about, you know, it's like I'm, I'm putting everything back into the, you know, the, the, the growth of the community. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, I really, I mean, this science, I'm listening to a good book uh, right now um, about that, uh, about the food and stuff. And it just, uh, it just fascinates me. It just fascinates the heck out of me. Um, I don't know where I got the fascination, to be honest with you. Um, in early recovery, I, I think it was that book, Sugar Blues. I think that really helped. Um, uh, I just kind of latched on to the idea because I, I knew nothing about it. And I think most, most people that come into my programs um, and, and moreover, our summits, the Quit Sugar Summit, we've interviewed over 200 of the biggest of the big, Dr. Lustig, Gary Tobbs. We had Judy Collins, the great uh, singer who's also in recovery, who wants this to be part of her legacy because she's a recovering sugar and a food addict. And uh, after they see all this information, they're like, wow, I just, they just didn't know. You know, they just didn't realize that, that um, sugar, I mean, they know like people are overweight or, you know, that if they cut back on sugar, it'll help. But the idea of how hard it is, I've ta- I don't think I talked about the studies. There's one CDC study um, of the biggest loser folks and folks that lost uh, hundreds of pounds, all but one or two gained it all back in the first year. And that's also scientific lore where um, there's bunches of studies where people that do that, and they, always, they all do it by reducing or quitting the white stuff where they lose a bunch of pounds, then they gain it all back in the first year with interest because of exactly what we've been talking about. When a part, when, when you don't deal with the emotional um, uh, gratification, the emotional management that sugar was used for, and you just grit and bear it, when a tough situation comes up, finances or romance or relationships or boss or kids or spouse. And when something comes up, you're going to go to the old memory. You know, you're going to go to the muscle memory that you had as a kid. Hell, your mother did it to you. She gave you a cookie, sent you to the TV when, instead of giving you a hug and say, what's wrong, dear. We're literally programmed that when we have worry or pain or hurt, we go sugar. I mean, how, when was the last time you saw a movie where a woman got you know, dumped by her boyfriend and didn't have a giant ice cream party. I mean, it's like cultural lore, you know, it's like people always, they're, and, and it's cute, it, you know, and people get, you know, like, they, you know, you give it to a baby or whatever, and it's funny to watch the kids run around like crazy at the birthday party. And now the science is starting to prove that the obesity numbers and the rate of obesity and the rate of metabolic syndrome Hell, the Canadian and, Europe and, and Great Britain um, health systems, the socialized medicine, is going to collapse under the weight of metabolic syndrome. The constellation of diseases that is diabetes to um, uh, you know, arthritis, autoimmune, uh, heart disease, all these things that are now related to sugar. And there's no end in sight. There's no solution in sight that works. And then people say, well, abstinence is, abstinence is a drastic measure. <laughs> I'm like, okay, well, so is diabetes, you, you know. I mean, people come to us with family members with diabetes, with prediabetes themselves, tell, you know, 100, 200 pounds overweight, losing limbs, going blind, and they still can't quit. So that, that to me is a substance use disorder on the level of, the ones that we think of as substance use disorder. So now your book that you have is um, what, what is that about? Is that kind of a, uh, like a teaching process in terms of how to do it or. Yeah. A lot of people just read the book. That's all they need to do. It's you can download at the site for free, uh, sugaraddiction.com, big yellow picture of the last resort sugar detox. You can download it and uh, walks you right through the whole thing. Um, but again, what they find is some, they need the support. You know, they need to meet somebody else that doesn't think they're crazy. Um, they, you <laughs> as, know, as most people will. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, I didn't know anybody that didn't drink back in the day. I don't know if you did, but I didn't know, certainly did not know a soul who was in recovery from, and I was scared to death to go to a meeting or scared to death to get change. 
And the same thing applies here. A lot of times they're the only one in their dang family, right? They, their, their spouse is not supporting them. They still got to cook for the kids or whatever. And so they're trying to, and they got a credibility problem when they get here, right? My average person has tried 6.8 different diets. So when they announce to the family that I'm trying another diet, it's no sugar, we can't have any in the house, what kind of reaction do they get, right? And so they basically have to have the tribe, the new tribe that, uh, you know, helps them through. Is there anything you want to say that, that I've, uh, haven't, we haven't touched on? No, I just, I'm really happy to be here to have the time, like I said, to, to walk through the whole thing. It's not everything that we do, but it, it gives, I'm pretty good at the 40,000 foot view so that I can give the, you know, the folks, if, if it resonates with them. Um, and a lot of times I find, I like to say that usually at the end, like, if this is something that's interesting to you, most of the folks that we have are pioneers of some sort, early in recovery early in their career, athletics, uh, scholastic. Um, uh, they've broken out first one to go to college. You know, you know they've, they've broken out of that, that high school clique or that family dynamic, and they've done something different with their life and that they've done their own research and made a move. And, and, and we, that pioneer spirit, I, I find that because I, still st- I call them canaries in the coal mine. We're the early adopters. We're the folks that... Um, uh, are afraid, you know, okay to um, do something a little bit different and oh, to join another tribe. That's just a uh, kind of a, um, what's the word, uh, anecdotal kind of uh, uh, observation that I've had with the people that have success with this. Well, yeah, I want to thank you very much for coming on here. Yeah, anytime, man. This is great. Yeah, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to another episode of High Wall Clean keep getting high, check out Michael's book. Obviously we're talking about, uh, and again, I believe something that, that most of us don't think about. And so again, thank you for tuning in and I will see you soon. Thanks.